Hello! We're back. It's another edition of Talking Foosball Direct. The Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman. And this week we are back in top form. The top guest, it's our old pal, Terry DeFellin. Hello! Hi, Matt. Just double-checking to make certain that there are just two of us and not a mystery third that we've <laughs> added by mistake. No, 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 no. You know, I, I, I feel like it was it was high time for another Terry DeFellin episode, especially what with the intrigue of, of the World Cup draw coming between us in recent days. Ooh. We've got to, we've got to, you know, slap each other around with, with the sharp banter. Yes, indeed. We do need to cultivate some banter in the coming months, Matt. And uh, I'm sure the listeners will uh, greatly appreciate that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This is just chapter one in, in, in a very long volume. We will be right back in just a moment. We'll be talking about the Bundesliga, of course, with a little bit of uh, World Cup draw. It's, it is the season. Match day 28 took place over the weekend. But, you know, while we have you here before this break, please do subscribe to the pod. Please do leave us a five-star rating if you like us that well. It helps get the word out about the pod to new listeners. Consider becoming a supporter on Patreon. We get tons of timeless content over there, including... 34 episodes of Historic Match Day Moments, eight Scandal episodes, and a whole lot more. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 28 in the Bundesliga season. We're really getting to the business end at this point. And, uh, you know, apropos of the business end, we really had some, you know, getting down to business fixtures this week. We had Freiburg and Bayern. We also had Dortmund and Leipzig. And what do you know? We had the exact same scoreline in both fixtures, a 4-1 win for the away side in both. Hmm. Terry, I, I assume that given your sympathies that you probably might want to just um, hang back for a moment and, and, and think about you know what, what you might want to say, how your feelings are about uh, Dortmund and Leipzig. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. We're going to talk about Freiburg and Bayern first. Yeah, so Freiburg, they actually did play Bayern tough in this game. They held them scoreless. It was a nil-nil game up until the uh, 58th minute when uh, Leon Goretzka making his uh, you know big comeback after a long injury layoff fired home a header. Those two teams basically traded goals from substitutes after that. Nils Peterson with his second touch of the game after coming in, uh, scoring his 100th goal in all competitions for Freiburg, and then uh, Serge Gnabry answering him. Pretty much all Bayern after that, at least on the scoreboard. They added two more. But actually the big story coming out of this game, other than the fact that Bayern defeated Freiburg 4-1 in uh, Freiburg, was a really bizarre substitution mistake. FC Bayern, it's often said that they have an unfair advantage on the rest of the league financially. Uh, some people say that the, the referee is often the 12th man working in Bayern's favor. Uh, in this case, they actually had a 12th man on the pitch. It was only about 15 or 20 seconds, apparently, before uh, Nico Schlotterbeck and uh, eventually the officials recognized that um, Kingsley Coman did not go off uh, when he was supposed to be substituted. Terry, how exactly did this happen? As far as I can make out, there seemed to be some kind of issue with the electronic scoreboard not working. So I must confess, I, I, I don't know who is responsible for ensuring that players have the correct number of players on the pitch. Uh, I don't know whether it's the officials or whether or not it's the club. Something tells me that it's the club that's ultimately responsible for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like if... The, uh, you know, the DFB and or Freiburg, who were the team that was, you know, hard done by, want to be very, very strict about this. It could, could put the result in jeopardy because it is technically Bayern's fault. Apparently, the wrong shirt number was shown for Kingsley Coman to come off. His old number, 29, was shown on the changeover board or whatever. So he didn't get the, the message that he needed to come off. Um, his, his new number, at least as of this season, is 11. 11, 
you know, the, the correct number of players to be on a pitch. But like I said, it, it didn't take long for people to figure out that there was a mistake. Uh, and it didn't take long for the mistake, at least uh, to be corrected, in that the Coman came off the pitch pretty quickly. But it seems like there was a whole cascade of errors here that, um, you know, the officials could have stepped in more quickly. They could have had a count right away. How do you think, leaving aside whatever the letter of the law is, which I think anytime you have an ineligible player on the pitch, which is someone who, you know, should have been substituted or someone has, has entered the game in their stead, technically that game can be awarded to the team who's against you. I understand that that's not always the way things go, depending on how long the duration is, uh, what happens with the player who's on the pitch, what did they do. What do you reckon the consequences should be? Well, I, I probably would feel that this is not much more than a yellow card offence. I don't think that this is as big a deal as it could have been. It is worth pointing out that in a very, very real way, the number of players allowed on a pitch is is one of the great foundation stones of football uh, and must be adhered to. And, and, and there must be strong and severe consequences for anyone who, who tries to circumvent that. But uh, in the real world, you know, and in this instance, I mean, this is a... This is a moment of confusion. It's a failure of process. It's perfectly innocent. A mistake has been made, the consequences of which were, I think, in, well, non-consequential. I don't believe there are any consequences at all, given I think it was 3-1 at the time, uh, and it was only for a few seconds. I think that you'd have to be absolute swivel-eyed anti-Bayern maniac to suggest that Bayern should be penalised beyond perhaps a slap on the wrist and maybe a, a maybe a, set, a, a yellow card for Kingsley Common for not being on the pitch if you wanted to go that far. But I, I, I feel that it would probably be best to just for the DFB to say, this shouldn't have happened, it did and we will take steps to make certain it doesn't happen again. It's just one of those things. So uh, it's an exciting and interesting little curiosity for what was actually a, 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 an extremely entertaining and, as you say, for a while, really interesting football match and evenly contested football match. I mean, it was not that kind of 4-1. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the game was very much in the balance for the first uh, nearly an hour. How was it that Freiburg were able to sort of frustrate Bayern uh, up until that point when when the sort of the floodgates started to open. Well, Bayern couldn't see, didn't seem to be able to play through Freiburg. I mean, obviously there's Freiburg's press, but there was also Freiburg in you know, uh, out of possession, two banks of four, very very narrow, not much space between the lines, mining it very hard to to, to go through. Bayern um, found themselves playing longer balls up to Lewandowski to try and hit Lewandowski. Uh, a little bit more old school. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Perfectly competent tactics and actually kind of worked towards the end of the game. So um, <laughs> thank you for a perfectly crumulant there. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good word and uh, I like to use it. Uh, yeah, it's perfectly crumulant tactics and, and he would, and, and I mean, and effective as well. So I, I, I was hugely, as I'm always hugely impressed with the way that Freiburg uh, are set up for a good portion of that game. Though those two sides were well matched, and in terms of quality, there was a fag paper between them. Obviously, Bayern do have world-class players who can make a difference. But in fact, on this occasion, and disappointingly, I think probably from Christian Strike's point of view, is that there was a bit of a failure of process, particularly you know with that first goal. It's never good to concede from a set piece, and yeah, I, I know much as was made at the time of Mark Flecken's choices with that free kick from uh, from Kimmich. But really, you've also got to consider the fact that Leon Goretzka was, you know, he's a big fella, you know, he's not, 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 he's easy to spot uh, and, and was able to, you know, make his way into the, pre, into the penalty area completely unmarked to be able to head that ball home. So, and, you know, not just that goal as well. We're talking about a series of unfortunately individual mistakes by Freiburg, largely also because Bayern have put them under a great deal of pressure uh, and, you know, it's difficult to maintain 100% concentration in a game like that. Once the goals started to come in, then yeah, that's when they started to fall apart. And I felt that 4-1 was a little bit unkind to strike a team to Freiburg, while at the same time being a perfectly fair scoreline, because Bayern played extremely well and, and thoroughly deserved to win, you know, even with 12 men. Oh, absolutely. And and they're the kind of team that, that just has it in them that when they catch fire, if they have... 
you know, even if there's only 20 minutes left in a game, it can go from, you know, 1-1 or nil-nil to 4 or 5-1 or nil because that's just the kind of team they are. Yeah, Mark Flecken, not his best game. Not his best game. I think he had another mistake where he got a hand to a, a shot, which ended up still going in to the back of the net. So maybe, maybe he's going to be thinking about what he could have done better in this game. Uh, Bayern, they are sitting pretty on top of the league, of course. You know, their, their immediate chasing pack is, is, uh, you know, a good ways behind them now. What is the, the margin? It's a good nine points. They can afford perhaps to turn their attention a little bit more squarely to the Champions League. They do have the first leg of uh, a tie with Villarreal coming up on Wednesday. What do you make of that? And, you know, not to look past Villarreal, but do you take them seriously as a team to win the competition? I do take them seriously to win. As uh, I think they're one of the best teams in Europe, and I think they have been for a number of years. They have had a tendency to lose focus and drop points uncharacteristically this uh, this season, but I don't really feel that that's something that they should be unduly worried about in the knockout stages of the Champions League. Villarreal are an extremely well-coached, very efficient side, very difficult to play against, very difficult to score against. Unai Emery is uh, a top coach um, and, and sets his teams up extremely well. But I would really expect a team of Bayern's quality over two legs to be able to get past Villarreal and go through to the next round. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm anticipating Bayern to go deep in this competition. All right. You heard it here first. Or, or maybe not. Probably first. not. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe for quite a, quite a few times. Let's move on now. Let's talk about uh, the game, which maybe you're hoping to forget. This was Dortmund's loss to RB Leipzig. The big top spiel on Saturday night. I mean, literally everything. Everything was in place for this to be a perfect night for BFL Bay fans. They had a full house at the Westfalen Stadion for the first time in you know, more than two years. They had a huge fan march to the ground, really impressive stuff. They had a great choreo ahead of the game. They were facing an opponent that those fans absolutely love to beat. And they even got off to a really good start. I mean, the, it was pretty desperate looking for, for Leipzig in the first, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes. But it never came to anything. And once RB got cooking, it was, you know, it was Beifau Bay who were who were on the menu. What exactly happened, Terry? Well, I mean, as you say, the, the Dortmund's main game plan just seems to be to dominate possession and then use their individual skill to make goals and hope that the opposition don't score as many as they do. And, uh, yeah, for that first 15 minutes or so, it looked really, really good for Beifau Bay. But Marco Royce had an outstanding opportunity to either create or, or score a goal in that first 15 minutes. And... And had he done so, then it's possible that it might have changed the course of the game. It might have affected Leipzig's confidence and upset their rhythm a bit more. But once they weathered that storm and got to grips with the game, then really there was only one team in it. And while I think Dortmund probably ended up enjoying most of the possession, you know, I think that they were they were to a very large degree controlled by Leipzig, who combined fantastically. And we you know they had, they played fantastic combinations. The first goal was a superb. Superb finish by Comrade Lima. And I mean, a sublime assist as well by Nkunku, it's got to be said. Yeah. And, and, you know, fair play to them. I mean, like people will look at Emre Chan and say, oh, it's Emre Chan's fault. I say, well, yeah, OK, so he get caught in possession. That happens. But, you know, it's one, you've got to have the opportunism and then it's not one thing to take an opportunity of, a, of an opposing player's mistake, but it's another thing, you know, to then finish off the chance. And that first goal was sublime. I mean, like such a difficult chance, such an amazing shot. And Conrad Liner obviously having a fantastic game, scoring two goals. And Nkunku, I think a hat-trick of assists, all, all told, plus a goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that first goal from Limer, like it was one of those chances that <laughs> you wish were as easy as he made it look. I mean, yeah. he basically took a shot from, I mean, it was a good ways out yeah. and made it look like a tap-in. He just like hammered it. Right into the corner. Yeah, it was beautiful. Ugh. It was beautiful. I mean, I, I mean, it was a bit. I suppose there's a bit of 
bit of good fortune about the the second goal. But you know, if you don't close down attackers at the edge of the box, then you know you're you know you're setting yourself up for some bad luck if you're the defending side. And and it was a deflected shot. And and I mean, but no one, I don't think anyone could really realistically argue that it wasn't against the run. It was against the run of play to an extent. You know, RB were were in control of the game at that point and continued to be so. And the third goal was, I mean, you see this so often, not with Dortmund necessarily, although yes, with Dortmund, but you know, with all all kinds of up and down any league you go to, you, you come out into the second half and you're two nil down. And what you try and do is you try and then dominate the game and try and get get back into the game as quickly as possible so you can get a, a foothold in, in, in the match. And then what actually happens is, is that you overcommit and you end up conceding the goal in the first 10 minutes. Of the, and this is pretty much what happened. I don't bet against Borussia Dortmund, but I mean, <laughs> I could have done, I could have put down, you know, I wouldn't have got, you know, long odds on the next goal scorer being a Leipzig player. And that was that was depressing. Even though I felt at the beginning of the second half they were trying their best not to overcommit, but Leipzig are like you know Tedesco is such a smart coach. He's like, yeah, no, you know, they just sat right back and went, come on, lads, come at us, come at us, and then pang, and that's it, three 0 and the game's over by that point in a very very meaningful way. And it's at that point that Dortmund are really falling apart, and you you are wondering, you know, what kind of secondary tactics they have what kind of redundancy plans they have what kind of alternative methods and approaches do they take to their game and you didn't really see any of that and that was disappointing too yeah yeah and I, I feel looking at this from from a Leipzig perspective for just a moment I was so impressed with this performance not that, that Dortmund aren't, aren't aren't a beatable side and aren't a, a side that sort of lets their head hang a little bit when they, they go down a few goals but it just felt like a really comprehensive victory. It felt like a confirmation that Leipzig are, are at worst the second best team in Germany right now. They might even be the best considering how up and down Bayern have been at times. I mean, certainly since Tedesco has come in, Leipzig have really, they've only performed poorly on one or two occasions, maybe. I mean, even in that loss to Bayern, they were good. It feels to me, I don't want to say like this is the fault of, of Jesse Marsh from the beginning of the season when he sort of was trying to fit a, fit a square peg into a round hole, but he was trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And if they had had a coach who was a bit more flexible, who was a bit more willing to build on the foundation that, that Julian Nagelsmann had laid, like Tedesco seems to be doing, I just, what might have been? for uh, a title race this year is all I'm saying. I, I wrote a preview for this match on Thursday and said that had Leipzig started the season with Tedesco, then they would they would be the ones who would be the second best, second place team in, in, in the Bundesliga, if not the first. And, and it is worth bearing in mind, Matt, that you actually tipped Leipzig for the title in, in pre-season. And now that we're seeing the real makings of them, we're seeing the real Leipzig, I can understand and we can all understand where, where that came from it's disappointing about what happened with Jesse Marsh and it's kind of gratifying I think that if you're particularly if you take an interest in US coaches it's kind of quite good that he's doing well at Leeds because you know it's a tough place to go and it demonstrates his credentials but you know you know it's it's incumbent upon clubs to do their due diligence on coaches and make certain that they hire the right coaches and so you can't always blame the coach for not doing a good job if they're not suited to them but I mean I offered a prediction in my preview that like that Leipzig you know would probably win this game I think that it's been a weird title race because I think Dortmund have comfortably not been the second best team in the Bundesliga for a while now and certainly not the best team in the Bundesliga and so it's kind of been odd that there's been this title race. I certainly agree that had had Leipzig been able to start the season uh, with the right coach then we would be having a very different you know conversation about the the run into the Bundesliga. I think it would be a lot closer. And these are things perhaps to look forward to as a neutral if you're looking forward if you want lively title races then this is something to look forward to for next season maybe if they can keep that going. Okay, speaking real quickly of next season, we don't need to jump the gun just yet but this is the kind of result that i feel like maybe gets the gears turning that maybe maybe we don't need to think too much more about what we're going to accomplish in this season for a team like Dortmund. there they're nine points off the top they may get caught by you know 
Leverkusen or Leipzig if they're very unlucky, but probably won't. How many changes do you expect this summer for Dortmund? I mean, the big one, I think I think we can fairly say that, that young Erling will probably be heading out the door. Do you anticipate greater changes significantly in, in, in the sort of first team, first choice group? Or is this going to be, they're going to run it back and, and hope to do things a little better? Well, interestingly, Marco Rosa said on Sport Eins, I think today, that he was expecting players to leave. There were some players who wanted to go hmm. and there were some players who have to go. Obviously, yes, you're right. Young Erling, I think he's on his way. Um, I, I, Manuel Akanji appears to be going too. We're getting Niklas Sula in. Hurrah. I'm quite excited about, yeah. I'm excited yeah, he's brilliant, about that. man. Yeah, yeah. And I would suggest that maybe Witzel's probably not long for here. And I wonder whether or not maybe if the right club, come, right English club comes along, maybe young Jude might decide that it's a good moment to move on. I think that his coach, his England coach, doesn't like to see his players playing outside of England. <laughs> I don't um, think he sees I, anyone I, who doesn't play in England. <laughs> I don't think Gareth Southgate assesses players by watching them on the box. I think he likes to see them in person, and I think it's difficult to go abroad these days because of COVID. I think that that's what did for, for, for Sancho, and I think that if he's not if he's not careful, that's what will do for Jude as well. And I and, and I wonder, and it's, yeah, he seems. He, he cuts a frustrating figure, the young fella, and I wonder whether or not maybe maybe he's, he's, he's ready to go. I mean, if he stayed, it would be awesome because I think that Dortmund could build a team around him because he's that good. But So I think that there will be some changes. I think Adeyemi might be coming in. But again, there's a, issues about the price and stuff like that. I know people have talked about Luka Jovic maybe coming back from his exile in Madrid, which would, I think, be a bit of a punt. I think what more importantly, what I want to see is I want to see some kind of coherence from from Dortmund's coach. I don't want the coach to change. I want Rosa to stay, uh, but I would expect to see a little bit more coherence and and some. I mean, I'm not a tactics expert. I'm not very good at expressing and articulating tactics. But you know, I've watched enough football to know when a team is tactically stable and when it's not. And Dortmund, I think, spend far too much time relying on individual talent and far less time relying on systems. If they if they had the tactical discipline of Freiburg, they would be a considerably better side than they than they currently are. And I, and there's there's no getting around that. You don't need to be a tactics expert to to arrive at that conclusion. And that's what I want to see the most next summer and the following August. Why don't we talk a little bit about? The World Cup draw. You you Yay. brought up the issues. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> you brought the up the issues surrounding. Uh, yeah, I do too. Uh, Jude Bellingham and uh, his difficulties either getting into the squad slash side for under Gareth Southgate. We'll talk about that in a second. Opening maybe with Germany's group. Danny Olmo, who scored the fourth, you know, sort of throwaway goal in that game against uh, BFA Bay. He will be probably the only Bundesliga representative in that Spain side who are going to face Germany. Uh, I guess there's some some chances for others. I mean, you know, I guess, yeah, there, there's a couple. Japan has has a few players in in the Bundesliga who who will be facing, I'm sure, a, a ton of of Bundesliga players in the Germany side. Genki Haraguchi, Takuma Asano, uh, Wataru Endo, and then you know who knows with New Zealand and uh, Costa Rica. Don't don't think there'll be a lot there. Anything you're interested in seeing? from that group as far as, uh, you know, sort of Bundesliga participation slash uh, coming out parties, whatever? Well, I, I think it might be topical to talk about Asano, wouldn't it? Hell because yeah. he scored a cracking brace at the weekend, Ooh, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. I mean, what a player he is. I mean, the Blue Samurai have always been an, an interesting uh, uh, team for me. Uh, Japan as, an, as a footballing nation has always interested me too, not, not to the point where I take a, an active interest, sadly, because there are just only so many hours in the day for you to be watching football and it's it's not easy but uh, Japanese players largely I suspect because European teams only seem to sign a certain type of Japanese player and it's, so that they they tend to be quite exciting they've got good they, it's massive generalizations but but I like watching Japan play football I like their style of play it's disappointing that they can't seem to just like kick on a little bit more and every time a world cup comes along I always think is this the year that the blue samurai sort of like really do something and we'll be looking for that you know again in this tournament but 
I mean, you know, against Germany and Spain, that's going to be that's going to be a tough ask, I suspect. But I mean, they're always good value and they play great football, so they'll certainly add a lot of entertainment to what should be a pretty entertaining group. Yeah, yeah, I, I see that one as, as as one of the trickier groups, considering Spain and Germany are, are, are sort of two giants of the game. And, and Japan, one thing you can say is they they don't often suck. You know, they're they're a tough out a lot of times. So. Yeah, we'll see. I, I fear for New Zealand and Costa Rica, uh, whichever whichever of those two uh, makes it in. We might as well talk about what's happening between us, Terry. Group B, <laughs> USA, England. In a Bundesliga context? Islamic Republic of Iran. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, you know, either 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 Scotland, Wales, or Ukraine. Plenty of Bundesliga it's interest be an there. an emotional group. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> plenty oh my of God. a hugely emotional group. <laughs> it's going to be. And you're right, yeah, plenty of of, of, um, of Bundesliga interest there to be getting on with as well. I mean, I mean, wouldn't it be great to be able to see Giorena functioning in that US team? I don't know, because he's been injured, isn't he? So I guess he probably hasn't featured that much. Well, he... He was a second half substitute in each of the last three games that the U.S. played, and he, he looked good in all of them, truthfully. And there there was a couple of sequences where he was actually getting the chance to link up with Pulisic, which hasn't happened that much. I mean, for all the sort of hype that has surrounded, you know, Geo, Pulisic, McKenney, Adams, they actually haven't had that much time all playing together. So it's always been one of those like, you know, <laughs> this is this is going to be our, our shining hope. But it, it's it's taken a while to actually get there. But, and there was a couple of times where Pulisic and Gio were sort of uh, hooking up, and it was it was mighty tantalizing. I'd also like at this point to point out apologies for going straying off topic here, but two former Crystal Palace players as managers of of those teams, Gareth Southgate and Greg Belter. Indeed, indeed, we got we got we're going even deeper into the <laughs> the personal narratives. <laughs> yeah, what, what do you reckon? Jude Bellingham's. Let's assume that he sticks around in Dortmund, uh, at least for that you know first half of the season prior to the World Cup starting. You reckon he will actually make the squad? Do you reckon he has a chance to to, to make it into the starting eleven, or is that just not going to happen under Southgate? I think that he'll make the squad, but I mean, I suspect it will probably be like with a view to him taking up of his position, his rightful position as England's number one midfielder in the years to come. I mean, he's still only 18 and I think Southgate is going to be patient. He has luxury of being patient. England's midfield, I think he's still pretty settled and that Bellingham doesn't necessarily need to come in there. Uh, if, if, he, if, if Bellingham had been, had been around like six or seven years ago, I mean, he'd have been straight in the side because he's just the answer to every, all of our problems. He, for me, I do think is, is, is destined to become England's best midfielder for some while, but I don't think Southgate needs to break up that midfield just just yet. I think it's perfectly serviceable. So I expect him to travel, but I don't really expect him to feature that much at that point, unless things change on there's serious injuries and stuff like that. But um, but you know, all things being equal, then that's where I think Jude will be. And I suspect that my feeling about Jude Bellingham is is that he's he's nailed on a Klopp player. I think that if once Liverpool have got the money for him then I think he'll go at Liverpool, play for Klopp, and I think he'll be pretty amazing, actually. So so uh, I think it's just a, a matter of, of time. There are obviously other candidates, but I can't see him going to Spain. And the only other club that I think could probably afford him that we would want to go to would be City. And there's not really been any suggestions that they'd have him. I don't know whether Pep necessarily sees him as as, as his kind of player. So, But yeah, sorry, to, to answer your question, yeah, I reckon he'll definitely travel with the squad. Nice. Well, that'll be good. And, you know, for my own country's sake, I, I hope he stays on the bench as long as possible because, <laughs> you know, Calvin, Calvin's not setting, setting any hearts alight. Fine player, but I don't fear him like I fear Jude Bellingham. Yeah, no, I mean, but I mean, he just works well in that in that setup, and uh, and uh, and I think that you'd find that that difficult to to you wouldn't want to break that up. But I mean, Calvin's been injured, so you know, you don't know. But I mean, but him and Declan Rice, that's uh, pretty formidable midfield duo to my mind. All right, so we got we got uh, our our personal head to head out of the way. We got Germany and their group out of the way. What what other groups uh, sort of? Have have some interesting Bundesliga angles in your mind. 
Yeah, I got a bit of a soft spot for uh, France's group, Group D. I mean, everybody loves Christopher Nkunku now, and we get the opportunity as Bundesliga people to be saying, well, I knew about Christopher Nkunku before everybody else. And so we can enjoy that. This may well prove to be a bit of a, something of a coming out party for him. In football terms, he is becoming quite well known, but obviously the World Cup, uh, you know, people, the World Cup makes legends, right? And 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 bestows godhoods. Uh, and Nkunku, this could be a good timed World Cup for him. Yeah, and you've pointed out on your notes here, uh, and, you know, big yes for Elias Shakiri, who is the scourge of the Dortmund back post and Cologne player, and obviously a player turning out for Tunisia. Uh, I, I like watching North African teams, and I always hope that they do well, uh, apart from Egypt, who are just absolute dog poo, and I'm really glad they're not. You know, they're toilet, absolute toilet. Just <laughs> utter disgrace. <laughs> All right, sure. That's a disgrace. Sorry. I mean, I mean, Carlos Kiros. I mean, uh, so negative, so little faith in his players that he just like a go, you know, goes out of his way to stop them from actually playing football. Sorry. Some That's, might say that about a certain England coach. Yeah, that would be probably a, that would be yeah, not to the same degree. No, of course not. Of I course don't not. think but to I, the same I, degree. But yeah, all I, the all the Euros, I kept waiting. Like, when is he going to take the shackles off with of his team? Yeah, when is he going to take the handbrake off? No, I mean, I think that that is a fair criticism, uh, and I mean, but I mean, you know, I don't think it undermines my point <laughs> about <Yeah>. Egypt. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, anyway, so so yeah, I'm I'm quite uh, um, I'm quite looking forward to that one. What about you? You know, Group F, I feel like, is just the fun group in this in this tournament. We got Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. You know, Alfonso Davies, going to be a great thing to see him in a World Cup after Canada has been gone for so long. And just, I mean, Belgium has so many Bundesliga players. I mean, Witzel, Didrik Boyata, Torgan Azar, Oral Mangala. Croatia, surprisingly many, too. They may even have a, a, a Bundesliga back line with the likes of uh, Borna Sosa, Gvardiol, maybe Pongracic if if he uh, makes makes an impression. Of course, Andre Kramaric. So, I feel like all those games are going to be very very watchable, and there's probably going to be some some Bundesliga participant in 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 every single one. And there's Switzerland as well in Group G. Yeah, well, <laughs> they're going to have like ten Bundesliga players as always. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but they're still Switzerland. I dig them, man. I I really enjoy Switzerland. <laughs> I was so pleased when they when they beat France in the Euros. I was I was really happy for them. That was an amazing. That was amazing f- football. It's got to be said. Switzerland are, are funny because I, mean, I think Swi- the narrative of Switzerland is still informed by that 2006 quarterfinal oh my. with Ukraine, yeah. <laughs> which still I think scars everybody who watched that. But they're not. They're, they're, but and I think that they tend to have a reputation you know, for being a little bit, you know. But I, I think also people maybe get them confused to Austria, who genuinely are ghastly to watch. But yeah, I think they ha- they're not they don't appear to have any kind of signature style of play, mm. um, and I think that that holds them back a bit. But uh, but they've got tremendous quality and are all, always dangerous. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And a couple couple of other groups that don't have a hell of a lot going on uh, Bundesliga wise. The Group C, of course, has Robert Lewandowski taking on. Argentina with, you know, only the greatest player ever, along with, you know, Ezequiel Palacios and maybe Lucas Alario, if they're lucky they, to get into that Argentina side. Um, not a hell of a lot else. Group H, Andre Silva and Rafa Guerrero with Portugal has, um, you know, uh, some trace elements of Bundesliga. South Korea has got a few players from, uh, you know, Hertha, Mainz and, and Freiburg, mm. maybe, maybe another if, if things turn out. But um, yeah, I, I, I think I think the Bundesliga fan will be well served by this this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And who knows, there may be a few more that we don't know about because we've got a summer of transfers to look forward to as well. So that's right, that's right. You know, <laughs> Freddie Freddie Bobic has got to renovate that team. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's take a break. We'll talk about uh, some other games from the Bundesliga in part two. Here's part two of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. Match day 28, including Hertha, although we're not going to go there first. We're going to go somewhere else. We're going to talk about the other matches in the relegation battle because there was there was quite a lot going on down there at the bottom of the table. A couple of, couple of head-to-head matches. FT Augsburg 
huge win, three nil win at home to Wolfsburg. I, you know, they kind of got, got off to a dream start. Iago scoring in the opening minute and and pretty pretty controlled stuff from Augsburg with uh, Florian Niederlechner and Mats Pedersen each adding another goal in the second half. I think it's it's probably good to think about Augsburg, you know, putting a little distance between themselves and and the uh, relegation battle. You can maybe touch on that in a second. I think maybe the juicier element is what the hell is going on with Wolfsburg? This was another totally lame showing. And I really feel like if they keep on this trend, they could find themselves really in the thick of that relegation battle quickly within another game or two if they keep keep dropping games like this. Yeah, and I'm worried that as to whether or not they've got the stomach for it as well. Because I think the other teams down there, either maybe with the exception of Hertha, have, are, were, are, were and are aware that they are going to be in a relegation scrap and are ready for it. Then you've got like your teams, your failing clubs who normally should either be at the top of the table or think that they should be at the top of the table. And they're the ones that you have to worry for. In fairness, oftentimes they they usually can conjure up enough quality to keep themselves out of problems. And, and Wolfsburg should have enough quality to get themselves out of this. But you know, the players may need to figure it out for themselves because it doesn't look like the coach is really having any kind of meaningful uh, impact on that. I don't really... I mean, I do understand what's happened to Wolfsburg because they made some terrible recruitment choices with their manager in pre-season. And a massive, massive mistake that they made and and it seems to have set off a, a chain reaction. But it does perhaps suggest that there's some, maybe there's a, a need for a bit of a clear out of that squad and maybe they need a bit of a dressing room refresh. Maybe people have just kind of done with Wolfsburg. And yeah, genuine danger of them going down to Bundesliga 2 next season. Although again, with the playoff being what it is, I wouldn't be too fearful if I was a Wolfsburg fan, but it can't be much fun. Yeah, yeah. Are Augsburg going to do it again? Are they going to escape by the skin of their teeth for what feels like <laughs> the umpteenth year in a row? I mean, we all we all sort of write their farewell letters to Augsburg in our minds, and they never they never quite go out the door. I think the thing with, with Augsburg is, is that because of the way that the, it, it might be different next season because I mean there's a likelihood that you'll have two two quite big clubs coming up from Bundesliga 2 next season whoever whoever they might well be who you would feel could you know mount a significant challenge uh, uh, for staying up and then that means that yeah you're looking at maybe one or two current Bundesliga teams getting relegated next season and maybe that will be Augsburg. But I think for as long as you've got smaller teams going coming up from Bundesliga two, and Augsburg will probably feel as if they can they can do enough. There is an argument to say that you know there what you know what is the point in this club? What do they do? But I mean we don't <laughs> we don't relegate clubs on merit. You know we really get them on points. And you know with Marcus Feinstein back there. He's 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 got them doing just about enough, and I don't think that too many people are overly. And you're right. You do think is this the year Augsburg go down, and then you think about it for a bit longer and say, nah, probably not. Probably not the year that Augsburg go down. In a broader context, I really feel strongly that they should do away with the relegation playoff. I think it's I think it's nonsense, and I think three clubs should go down. But that is a that is an opinion, maybe for another another conversation for another podcast for another time. Yep, yep. I basically agree. I think if you're if you're if you're down in the bottom three, you don't really deserve another chance. Okay, so if Augsburg helped themselves quite a lot with three points, Bielefeld and Stuttgart helped themselves, you know, a little. They each took a point from their game in Bielefeld. Stuttgart took the lead through a Sasha Kolodzic penalty kick. Florian Kruger evened it up in the second half for Bielefeld. How do you rate these two sides' chances of getting themselves clear of this? I mean, they're, you know, you, you, you used the term uh, fag paper earlier in the show. It still feels pretty fag papery down there. Yeah, I think only Furter are clearly a, a second division team out of, out of that lot, aren't they? The rest of them are, could realistically get themselves out of this. I, I, you kind of feel that. <sighs> If Wolfsburg carry on the way that they're going, that they could keep going downwards. I can see Augsburg going up. I think Stuttgart should have enough 
quality now that Kaladzic is back to get them keep them uh, going. I thought it was interesting that he took a penalty because he doesn't normally, does he? And, and I wonder if that was like, look, get we need you on the score sheet, mate, as quickly as possible because you're going to be scoring the goals. He only needs to probably score, maybe he needs to score maybe three or four goals across, you know, well-timed goals across the piece for the rest of the season and that may well be enough for Stuttgart to, to, to stay up. Bielefeld are dogged and hardworking and they don't give up. You know, they've got some quality I, I mean, what what I think about is I think about Hertha and I think that Hertha have got enough quality to find their way out of the problem and so therefore somebody has to go down in their stead and that's where I worry about Biederfeld uh, in this instance. So, yeah, I mean, it is very, very difficult to, to perm from there. But, I mean, we'll talk about Berlin in a moment. But I, I my sense is that Magat will whip them into some kind of shape doesn't matter how many bones he has to break or in the meantime you know and we'll get them out of there but but yeah it's complete fag paper for 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 all of those teams most of those teams down there yeah yeah i you know on on my good days i tend to think that that someone's got to go down the sides herta and i i reckon it probably will be be the felt but i'm i'm not completely convinced that's the way it's going to go especially because herta Got beat on Saturday. They lost 2-1 in Leverkusen. Uh, they hadn't lost against Leverkusen uh, in, in the last five tries. So this this really felt like a game that they could take something from. Uh, but they never really looked like they were in it from a sort of attacking perspective. Um, I hate to say that this was you know entirely the same deal as we saw last week against Hoffenheim when, or two weeks ago, whatever, uh, against Hoffenheim when they did get a win. But it wasn't entirely different. I mean, we did see a fairly anemic attack from open play in that game as well. It was it was basically all goals off of Marcel Plattenhardt free kicks and uh, or, or dead ball situations anyway. And you know, Marvin Plattenhardt had had a muscle problem in the pre <laughs> the, the, the warm up for this game. He didn't play. He didn't you know put uh, free kicks and corners in, and so. Hertha didn't score. And, you know, some of their mistakes, the same kind of mistakes that they made against Hoffenheim, were punished by Leverkusen. And, of course, Leverkusen are simply a better team than than Hoffenheim. So, you know, I feel I feel okay knowing that uh, they basically hung in there against a good Leverkusen team. But I don't feel good at all about the goal-scoring situation because they just didn't look dangerous at all. And if there's one thing you need when you're trying to get out of the relegation zone, it's to score some goals so you can win some games. And if you can't do that, you're probably um, going to have a hard time. Well, yes, but uh, consider their fixtures. They've got, I mean, all right, they've got the Berlin Derby with the next game. That is going to be a tough game. Yep. And you'd probably have to, yeah, I mean, you'd have to place Union as the favourites for that. But derbies can be volatile. Oh, I feel fine occasions about it. I'm looking forward to it. The favourite favourites don't always win. So that's cool. And then it's, then it's Augsburg and then Stuttgart and then Bielefeld. All right. So yep. those are the games. Those are the games. Nine points from there. And it'll listen <laughs> they all are seem like exactly a the moment. teams you need to be. Yeah. That's what they so, so the fixtures of uh, are, are kind to 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 Hertha, and then after that it's Mainz and Dortmund. Well, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? I mean, Mainz. No, that's not. Nobody wants to be in a position where they need something from Mainz because they're incredibly difficult. But but Dortmund, yeah. I mean, at home in theory, that's 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 three points to Dortmund. But in practice, who knows? But hopefully, from a Hertha's perspective, they'll got enough points from those that block of three games, and yet yeah, they can pick up a bonus point or a win in the in the Berlin derby, and then this will turn around pretty quickly. But yeah, so we'll see what happens. I mean, just just there is the quality there. I think. And Herter, and that's something that they can, you know, that they that you can console yourself with. And other teams down there maybe don't necessarily have that privilege. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, let, let's let's shift gears and start talking about the teams who are who are a little better than than the ones we've been talking about. The teams who it's not quite decided yet whether they're going to end with with a sort of mid-table empty-handed situation or maybe get into Europe. I guess since we just talked about Hertha and they're about to play Union, we might as well talk about Union, who were winners against Cologne. That was basically a head-to-head 
fight over, you know, eighth and ninth place or something along those lines. You know, I think uh, Union overtook Cologne uh, due to that result, if I'm not mistaken. You do reckon them as favorites for the Derby next weekend. Do you see them mounting a final push for Europe in, in the, the, what remains of the season? They, they're not far off, but they're not in the thick of it. I think they're still three points back of Hoffenheim, if I'm not mistaken. Are they in the cup still, Matt? Forgive me. I'm pretty certain that they are still in the cup, and they? they've got to. They, oh yeah, so they got to. They got to. Sure. I mean, they're mm-hmm. playing. Is it Freiburg in the cup? I can't remember. I apologise. No, they're playing Leipzig, yeah. of course. The Leipzig, Leipzig in the cup. Okay. You- so their season is alive. It's alive. It's full of life. And when your season's alive, then yeah, you keep. You know, there's no. You're not going to want to be. You know, there. There will be. There'll be no thinking about flip flops. The players will be anxious to keep their places so that they. You know, with the possibility for that. Of, of going, getting to Berlin, maybe, uh, or <laughs> getting to the Olympic Stadium for the cup final. And when you've got all that going on, I think that they're, they're, that they're going to be up for it. And I don't see why they wouldn't. They would, I think they're like another crack at the Conference League. And I mean, why would you, why would you take your foot off the gas at all? And there's no question that they've got the, they've got the players and they've got the team to do it. So I thought that that was quite a significant result against Köln because, yeah, again, you could, you could, you could offer the same analysis about Köln. They've had a cracking season, and you know it's, it's been, it's been nice to look at Köln and not be worrying about, you know, you know whatever, that no, no worries about any psychodramas or, or relegation problems. But so I think that that was a quite a significant result between those two. I'd like to see both teams in Europe, but but yeah, um, Union are now in the box seat for that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I did misspeak earlier. It was Union are now seventh and Cologne are eighth. So, you know, depending on how things turn out in that uh, cup, let's say if Freiburg or Leipzig were to win the cup and, and be in a European position, uh, that would put seventh place into play, which, you know, at the moment would put Union back into the Conference League. But also if Hoffenheim... <laughs> don't start turning things around soon, then they could drop out. Sure, sure. Yeah, they were, of course, losers at home to Bochum. You know, they're wearing their, their Nido um, sort of water in Africa. The I guess they call them the Umoja kits, which I thought was pretty pretty sweet in that game, but they didn't they didn't win in them. Uh, Bochum were uh, 2-1 winners in Hoffenheim. Takuma Asano, we mentioned him earlier in the podcast. He was sort of the, the hero for Bochum. Uh, one truly sublime goal from him and one, you know, less sublime, but still pretty cool. And any quick thoughts about uh, Bochum and, and, you know, how they can maybe build from where they have gotten themselves this season? I think they have certainly outplayed expectations by, you know, getting themselves up into 11th place and basically have nothing to do with the relegation fight. Is this, is this the kind of team as it's currently constructed that could potentially make a couple of more moves and, and move up into that next tier or is safely mid-table as, as high as as Bochum should be thinking at the moment? I think you could make a comparison between Bochum and Union, couldn't you? Hmm, right. For sure, yeah. Um, and uh, don't try, try not to lose too many of your best players and recruit smartly, um, keep your coach um, and, and, and keep going on. And I think that the Bundesliga, despite its merit, various flaws at the very top of the table, not flaws, but its various criticisms about hey man, its, it's title a flaw. races. It I guess is, it is a, a flaw. flaw. Yeah. <laughs> but you do see, I mean, it is heartening to see teams like Union Berlin coming up and staying up and making a contribution. It's heartening to see Cologne being a something of a basket case and then being able to turn that around. And it's also heartening to see, you know, Gladbach and Wolfsburg and Frankfurt, you know, after having great seasons or a great run of a few seasons, then, you know, getting all tied up in knots and, you know, and so, so it, you, it's good to see that kind of mobility. And I think it does speak for a healthy league in, in many respects. And so, so I think there's, there's every chance that Bochum, if they make the right choices, you know, they are in the, they are in the, a league that will, that rewards good choices and right choices. And not all European leagues can do that, frankly. So, so sometimes you're just on a hiding to nothing, whatever you do. But the Bundesliga, I think, is, is kinder to smarter clubs. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, aside from the, the tier of one at the top of the table, and then another tier of two or three below them, stuff is really wide open in the Bundesliga. If you have, if you put together a good season, uh, if you if you build a squad well, if you are coached well, if you get a couple of breaks, you can you can find yourself in Europe or close to it pretty quick. Okay, so yeah, speaking speaking of of teams going down, teams going up. Not literally down, like the relegation down, but just down. Gladbach, they're on, you know, still well under their expectations. They got a 1-1 draw at home to Mainz. It really felt like in a dominant first half that maybe we were going to see that Gladbach of old again. They, they looked quite good. And then <laughs> we were fooled again, of course. They, they were actually probably a little lucky to end up uh, not getting beaten after Mites came out guns blazing in the second half. Anything you want to read into this result, or is this kind of, you know, a classic tale of two halves, classic we expect a little too much out of uh, a Gladbach side that we should have learned by now not to expect too much out of? Well, Gladbach have had difficulties since Marco Rosa had his notice, so, and which is over, well over a year ago now. And I think they've, I suspect they've got the right coach and they probably feel they've got the right coach, but they're probably looking at a, at a squad refresh. Um, one thing that one player they don't want to refresh is Jan Zommer. And if it wasn't for him, then Mainz would be eighth now. And I think that that is also the story there is Mainz are proper good. Bo Svensson is a proper good coach. Uh, and, and they've done, he's, he's not worked miracles, but he's, 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 he's utilized the best out of that squad. And yeah, they'll feel a little bit unlucky that they didn't get something out of that game. Uh, but, you know, 11 players, one of them is a goalkeeper. That's what he's there for. <laughs> um, and and, and they, they certainly needed him this time around. But uh, I mean, I'd say, I think it was a, in many ways a great and heartening performance for Mainz because they, they, they bounced back in that second half and could easily have won the game. All right, there is one more game from match day 28. It was Eintracht, Frankfurt, and Kreuterfurt. And nobody scored in that game. So I don't think we're going to talk about it. You good with that? Yeah, I'm absolutely fine with that. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Just delightful to have you back on, Terry. Yeah, uh, the pleasure is all mine. Matt, thanks very much for having me on and uh, best wishes to you and the listeners. Brilliant. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Terry DeFellin. If you want to contact me over there, I'm Mr. Matt Herman. Uh, Talking Foosball Extra with Nick and the gang will be coming up in a couple of days and uh, Talking Foosball Fantasy. They will get you ready for Match Day 29 later in the week. This is Nick and Molly. 